Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Father, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. But this is our assurance. This is the bedrock on which we stand. This is the framework upon which we build our Christian life. And this is the pathway upon which we walk. That the Lord, not our works, not our own righteousness, but the Lord. Not our strength, not our intellect, not our our backing, whatever it may be, but the Lord delivers him who hopes in the Lord from them all. From them all. God, and there are many who are afflicted physically, mentally, emotionally in their relationships with you and with other men. Lord, there's a struggle going on. There are afflictions which are unseen, unheard. There are sobs, there are weepings, anguish of souls. Let this word, which comes from your infallible word, Bring hope and endurance unto your saints in the name of Jesus. Father, today as we look into your word, we pray that you will continue with us. And so, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight and in your presence. O Lord, our righteousness, our God and our Redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The English novelist C.S. Lewis has written a classic called The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, in which four characters, Peter, Edmund, Lucy, and Susan, they stumble into Narnia. And then Edmund had already been there. He turns out to be a traitor to the cause of Aslan, who is the king, actual king of Narnia, but the witch has now overpowered. And then Edmund the traitor is in captivity of the witch, and the witch brings Edmund back to Aslan for a trade-off. And Aslan and the witch go into Aslan's tent, and there's silence, and out comes both of them, And the witch lets go of Edmund, and she and her troops, they ride back. Aslan goes back into his tent, and there's silence. At night, Aslan walks out of his tent, and Lucy and Susan, they follow him. Now he goes into the camp of the witch, and the agreement that was done in the camp earlier that morning was that Aslan would give himself for Edmund. That was the trade-off. So in the quiet of the night, Aslan walks off into the camp of the witch, where many hideous creatures take hold of Aslan the lion, and they shave off his mare, and his mane is all removed to humiliate him. Then he is tied to a great stone slab, and the witch comes with a stone knife, And says, you are a fool to give your life for the sake of Edmund. Edmund is the one who is the traitor. He should die. Aslan doesn't say a word. The witch plunges the knife into the heart of Aslan. And Aslan dies. And all the hideous creatures, they celebrate. And the witch says, this has appeased the magic of the ages. And she walks off. And all the hideous creatures, they follow him. 
follow her. And then Lucy and Susan, they have lost all hope. Because next day is the war between Aslan's troop, which does not have Aslan as the head, and the witch and her troops. So all hope is lost. They weep. They moan. And then as they begin to walk away, they hear a great sound behind them. The slab on which Aslan was laying was broken and Aslan had disappeared. So they turn around and then through the golden arches walks Aslan, alive to the surprise of Lucy and Susan. And they ask Aslan, how did this happen? And Aslan says that the witch did not know that there was magic from the ages untold. And that magic says that when an innocent gives his life for the traitor, the innocent will receive back his life. And the innocent rose again and hope was restored. This is your story from the Bible. Hope is a Christian word which is less and less understood. We know more about faith and we've got umpteen books on love. But what about hope? There's a story about a man who had an illicit relationship with a woman and there was a child who was born through it and the child was sick and the man fasted and prayed and he thought that God would heal him and the child died. And the man rose, he woke, he changed his garments, he went into the house of the Lord, he worshipped God and he began to eat. The people who saw him said, what is this? While the child was sick, you moaned. Now when he died, you're rejoicing. And the man said, why not? While he was sick, I moaned so that God may have mercy on him. If not, now he has died. He will not come back to me, but I will go to him. That is hope. That is hope. And we sitting here have lost sight of that hope. We behave more as if we are children who have lost hope than as children of hope. Simple test. Look into your own lives. Are you living as a child of hope? Or are you living as someone who has cushioned himself with the pleasures of this world? Where the only hope for adventure is hope for today and not for tomorrow. I invite you to turn with me as we return to the book of First Peter. We continue our journey through this book. A marvelous letter written by Peter. And it could almost be a handbook of Christian living. We would read verse 13 through 16. I would read it from the New King James and I then I want to read it in a way that reflects the original languages. So first let's read from King James. New King James, it says from verse 13, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and, re and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust, as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now if you would permit me, I want to read it in a different way. And I am going to read it like this. Wherefore... Having girded up the loins of your mind and remaining continually sober, perfectly hope in the grace, now being brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, 
as children of obedience, not fashioning yourself to the former conditions in the ignorance of your desire, but just as he, having called you, is holy, so you also be holy in all conduct, because it is written, become and remain holy, because I am holy. Now that's the actual rendition in the Greek New Testament. What is the response What is the response that Peter wants from his readers? Up to now, in the first 12 verses, Peter has been celebrating about the goodness of God. What God has done. What God has accomplished on your behalf and mine. What God, what he has done. And now, in these, beginning from verse 13, he gets into the commands. And the first command, according to almost all our translations, is gird up the loins of your mind. But in the actual Greek, it is not, that's not the first command. The first command is hope in the Lord. That's the command. That's where the command begins. That's why I read it in a way that that would bring out the, the meaning. There are two subordinate commands which says that having girded up your minds and being sober hopefully do you understand that now comes the first commandment it says hopefully now that's the essence of the Christian faith after having read all the goodness about God it does not say now go and work you've heard that saying which says that don't just sit there do something Right? Peter is saying, don't just do something, sit there. Our hope is what gives glory to God. Not our running around. So what is hope? 1 Corinthians 13 says that, and then there are three Christian virtues. Faith, hope and love. And as I said, there are numerous books on faith. And we are men of faith. We pray with faith and there are lots of things, gymnastics we do with faith. Mental gymnastics. Spiritual gymnastics. And there are lots of things we do with love. But what about hope? Have you got a hope? Or are we drifting along? See, most of our cars have got something known as cruise control. Your legs are off the accelerator, you've got a button press and the vehicle moves on. That is coasting. That is moving without your effort on the accelerator. Is that how your Christian life is going on honestly? Is that what Peter invites you to do? Look closely at those. Twelve verses of God who has elected you, God who has foreordained you, God who has stored for you an inheritance incorruptible in heaven, stored for you. God who says that now the fiery trials that you are going through, it is not to destroy you, it is is to build you up. God has done this, God has done that, look unto God, look unto God is 12 verses and then comes the 13th verse and the 13th verse says hope. And not just hope partially, it says hope fully. We've got partial hopers all around us. We've, we've done that. All of us, we've, we've done that. We've hoped, we wish for a better day. We think that around the bend there is going to come some kind of a Christian deliverance. Joni Aikson Tada says that the real cripple is he who has lost hope in God. And she was a paraplegic. She's lost all movement except for a little movement in her left limb. Everything below the neck. At the age of 17. Today she's 67. She says the real handicapped is the one who has lost hope in God. 
Are we partial hopers? What's your response to the glories that God has revealed unto you even now? Even in these 12 verses, if you've gone to the depth of these verses, if you've understood that you have a, 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 an inheritance reserved for you, if you understand what Christ says, that when he says, do not store up for yourself treasures here on earth, but do store it up over there. That means that there is a possibility of having an account in heaven. Are you looking forward to it? Is there a hope of inheriting it? Now that's the question. So the first response, I've got two responses in these verses that we've read. And hopefully we'll read both too. So the first, first response is, hope. Fully. So how do I live my Christian life in response to what God has done for me? Number one, I live in hope. There was a boy who went for driving test. And then he drove beautifully around the streets. Like many of us come here and testify and say, I messed up, God gave me grace. But this boy, he did well. He did absolutely brilliant. And then he stops the vehicle gets out, opens the door even for the policeman. And the policeman is impressed and he walks away. And as he walks away, the boy says, Thank God I don't have to do that every time. That means that there is a way in which we pretend to live. I look into all your faces and you're looking into mine. And you might see, there's a man with hope. And I might say, oh, there are a bunch of people with real hope. But is that true? Does your life show that you are living with this hope? Christianity is not working for God. It is resting on what God has finished. So what is works then? That's for another day. But works is what Psalmist says in Psalm 100 verse 2, he says, serve the Lord with gladness, not for rewards. That's works. And we'll come to that, God willing, some other time. But right now, our focus is on hope fully in the Lord. What does Christian hope look like? Turn with me to John chapter 11, and I'd like to illustrate this from the life of Jesus. John chapter 11, 17 to 27. We know the story, we know the background that Lazarus, which is Jesus' friend, was sick and indeed he had died. Jesus tarried and did not go to Bethany. He waited a few more days. And then... Verse 17, when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. I like that. It's as if he did not know. He found, I'm surprised he's been dead. No, that's not what it says. He found that he's been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the woman around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see hope there? But hang on, it's, it's not yet fully matured. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Later on in this passage, we find that all the people would also say, if he opened the eyes of the blind, could he not have stopped Lazarus from dying? Now that was a, a belittling question in the hearts of the people. But look at this. This is genuine hope. That Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. That's hope building up. Now watch this. Jesus said unto her, your brother will rise again. We know the end of this story. But just wait. Wait, don't just rush to the end. If Jesus had stopped over there, does it kill Martha's hope? If he did not do anything beyond, if he had not raised Lazarus from the dead, would Martha still have hope? 
The answer is yes, because the next verse says that. Martha said unto him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She has read her Bible. Psalm 16 verse 10 says that you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. She has read the book of Job which says that even though my flesh shall get corrupt, on the last day I shall stand and even though worms may eat my body, I shall see my Redeemer. She knows her Bible. So she says over here that this is something spectacular that is going to happen. Wait, wait, don't rush to the, to the cave now. This is hope being built up. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now she said yes, but later on we find that when Jesus said, roll the stone away, she said, but Jesus, he'll be stinking. But my question is, what is Jesus saying over here? If Jesus were not even to resurrect Lazarus now, she already had the hope that someday in the future, centuries away, beyond their own seeing and capacity, like Abraham who dwelt in tents and pitched, and, and pitched tents everywhere that he went, he looked for a city and whose builder and maker was God, Martha herself lived beyond the centuries. My question, are you living beyond the centuries? Are you looking for Him coming on the clouds? Are you looking for the revelation of this grace? I mean, we have received grace right now. What does the passage we read tell us? It says that, for the grace that is to be revealed, therefore your hope is not in Christ coming, Of course, that's your hope. But your hope is in the fullness of the revelation of His grace. We'll read that passage again. But wait over here. It means that what's Jesus saying? She she believes that Jesus is going to resurrect Lazarus on some beyond the centuries. There is going to be a day when Lazarus will rise up. So there you could give yourself, if you've got the habit of writing on your Bibles, you could say, this is hope. It is an assurance of a future event. An assurance of a future event. Now wait, don't put a full stop after that phrase. An assurance of a future event based on past promises. Now that's hope. Faith and hope are twin brothers. Because both are born of trust. Faith and hope are twins in the womb of trust. Faith trusts God. Hope trusts God. But hope is yet for the future. So it's an assurance of future event based on facts. That's Christian hope. Now the story is not over over here about Lazarus. We know that Jesus went on to raise up Lazarus. So Lazarus is the only person who had, if he believes in Christ, how many deaths? Two deaths but three lives. Because he will live again on that day. If he believed in Christ, based on verse 25 and 26. But look at this. Jesus demonstrated, he demonstrated verse 25 by not raising up Lazarus. Mind you, he he was raising himself up. Now that's your Christian hope. If Jesus, now think about this, if Jesus had raised only Lazarus and not raised himself up, we are of all people most miserable. Few days from now we are going to celebrate Easter and I want you to celebrate. Because more, more is said about Christ's resurrection than about his birth. And we tend to celebrate his birth. 
I don't know how many of you are excited about resurrection because if he has risen again, you will rise. Now that's Christian hope. And that's where Peter is leading the people. He's saying, I know you're going through struggles. I know you're going through trials, whatever it be. Now you can fill in the blanks with your own. And we're just not talking about trials. and We're also talking about temptations. You're going through your own struggles. In fact, it will be there till you die. Good news. Because the spirit wrestles against the flesh and the flesh wrestles against the spirit. It's going to be there. But the point is, are you waiting? Are you groaning? Are you yearning? Do you have a hunger for God? Do you have a hunger for His revelation? I'm waiting for Christ to come. Now this, Jesus demonstrated hope, not by raising Lazarus, but by raising Himself up. And therefore, hope now becomes easier because if He has risen, I can hope that I will rise. You see those words, hope and will, come together? It comes only in Christian faith. Got to say amen for that. Because it's alone in our faith that we can use the word hope and will together. Because it's based not on our doings, it's based on what Christ has accomplished. When he said it is finished, it includes this. So that is hope. Now, this verse again says that we need to hope upon something. What do we need to hope for? We need to hope for the grace that is to be revealed at the coming of Jesus. Look at that verse with me once again. Verse 13. The grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That means all the grace that you are experiencing right now is down payment. I mean the grace that you are experiencing right now, whatever you name it, grace at the place of work, grace for not falling sick when a thousand falls at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, grace when your vehicle does not break down when it should be, Driving a 20-year-old jalopy, it should have broken down, but it's not. So that's grace. But that grace, if you understand and you grace your hands and give thanks to God for that grace, Peter is saying that's just the tip of the iceberg, boys. The grace that is to be fully revealed at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you waiting for that with hope? With expectation. And one of the one, one of the armors that we wear is the shoes with the readiness. Some of, some of us have got iron boots, I tell you. We just can't move. The Bible says with the shoes of the readiness to preach the gospel. You know what? Unless you and I take the gospel to the ends of the world, Christ is not going to come. I don't know if this excites you or saddens you. For some of us, they'll say, I thank God. And at least a few more people have got time to mend my ways. But for others, they are yearning. They are groaning. I don't know if you've got the heart of Anna, the heart of Simeon, who looked at the baby Jesus and said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. Are you waiting for that day? Are you excited about Christian things? Or are you so tied up with the things over here on earth that heaven seems a little later, Lord? Let me finish this, this course. This looks so, I'm so young. I'm 18. For crying out loud, I'm, I'm so young. I need to be doing a lot of things. Don't come now, Lord. But Jesus says that when John the Baptist came with his own disciples, or rather he sent his disciples, and they came to Jesus and said, Do not your disciples fast? The Pharisees came and asked. So he said, Can the 
friends of the bridegroom mourn when the bridegroom is with them. So what's Jesus saying there? He's saying, but they will. You don't want to say that word. But they will fast. But they will mourn. Why is that? The bridegroom has gone. Are you yearning for the bridegroom to come back? How much is Jesus worth for you? How much is he worth? So that's hope. And we hope for the full revelation of the grace that is to come unto us. And we also hope, not half-heartedly, we hope fully. Psalm 147 verse 10. Let's look at a couple of more Christian pleasures. One of the pleasures is God delights in the weak. How many of us know that? Okay, that's just me. Alright. I hope at the end of this reading, you'll put up your hand. Because Jesus comes up and says that, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Ring a bell. Matthew 5 verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? That means blessed are those who are rich. Theirs is the? You know, the actual translation says, Blessed are the beggars. This goes against the grain of the teaching right now that comes from the different pulpits. They say that you have to confess that you are rich. Jesus says, you are a beggar. And unless you beg, yours is not the kingdom of heaven. Mephibosheth is my favorite character because he had no right to be at the table of David. He was an enemy of David. But David invites him and says, you shall eat with me from my table continually. I mean, unless we go to God as the lame, as the crippled, as the people who, who, who thrive on grace, we're not going to get anything. Sorry to burst your bubble. But that's the truth of the scriptures. He opens the Sermon on the Mount by saying, unless you beg. Not talking about carrying a bowl in your hand and asking the Lord to put a couple of nickels in there. What we are saying is, God, I'm dependent on your grace. And God says, come, dine with me. I don't know if you love to see this. As yourself in need of God's grace. Because the moment I see this, I want to be the recipient of that grace. Instead of going to God with my chest up in front and say, God, look at what I've done. Psalm 147, 10 and 11. He says, he does not delight in the strength of the horse. Who? God. Jehovah does not delight in the strength of a horse. Did he not make the horse strong? And it says that he takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. You want to give God pleasure? And I live for your pleasure? What's the song we sang? This is my desire to honor you. You want to honor God? Look at verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. Who, whose hope is in His bank balance. Whose hope is in His creative powers. Whose hope is in her beauty. Proverbs 31. A wonderful verse for all the wonderful women. They like the first part. Towards the end, verse 30. Something we older men need to tell our old wives. Beauty is fading. Charm is deceitful. But a woman who fears the Lord, 
she shall be praised. And all the old men like me said, Amen. Amen. Look at that. We run for the first part of virtuous woman. But look at that woman. She might come to you old and wrinkled and say, Honey, do I look nice? And you say, look at this verse. Look at this verse. And you tell her, you will dine in the presence of your king. Because of this verse. If you went behind your beauty, if you went behind your charm, it is deceitful. So all those who feel that they are not good looking, please, hope in this verse. Hope in the truth of this verse. Which says that a woman who fears the Lord, she will be praised. That's how you build your hope. My hope is built on nothing less than, Amen, Jesus' blood and His righteousness. And the word is his righteousness. The object of our hope is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The grace that is to be fully brought. Hope fully in grace. Hope fully in grace. I want you to write that at the top of your, of your wardrobe. Of, of your, wherever you would see it every day. Hope fully in grace. And I told you last time that we don't read grace as grace. We read it as unmerited favor. I don't deserve this, but I'm getting it. That's the gospel. Fix your hope. Hope fully. Hope completely. And then there are two subordinate participles. There are two subordinate actions that we, that we are supposed to take in order to fully hope. See this, don't get the, don't put the cart in front of the horse. We are to hope fully. That's my response. That's response number one, hope fully. Response number two, live holy. That's the title. Hope fully, live holy. So those are my two responses. But to hope fully, I need to do two things. Number one, I need to gird up the loins of my mind. Number two, I need to be sober. Now I'm talking about myself. Because people get offended when I talk about them. So I'm talking about myself. It says that gird up the loins of your mind. And that is evident here in the Middle East. You know that the, that the locals, they're, they're, they wear long flowing dress. And they can't move fast enough. Now, if you want an illustration of this, I was driving through Mus Expressway at 140, close to 160, and there comes a chap who runs across, and he's going like a penguin. Because his dress is impeding him. Before you laugh, his life was in danger. Why? Because his flowing robes, his objective was to go across. Please get this picture. His objective was to go across and not get run over by a car. His objective was to not become a roadkill that day. His objective was, I need to cross over. I need to make it to heaven. Illustration. I need to make it. I need to cross it. So what's, what's, what's hampering me? My long flowing robes. You see the picture? Take that. Put it into your belt. I mean, do what we Keralites do. I mean, take that stuff and put it in your belt and now you run across. And you'll make it. That's Peter's thought. You see the thought of Peter? Get that stuff which impedes your move. Tuck it into your belt. And what's the belt? If you've read, if you've read Ephesians 6, the belt of? We'll try that again. A few New Testamenters here. The belt of? 
So that's what you gird your loins of your mind. That means you feed your mind with what? Truth. And truth comes in the form of the Bible. Newsflash. It does not come sitting in front endlessly in front of the TV. It does not come in any other form. John was, uh, Jesus was praying in John 17. He was praying his high priestly prayer. He said, Lord, sanctify the people with your word. Your word is truth. You see the picture? This is the picture. Do not, do not let your mind wander. We told you, told you earlier that you will wrestle until you die. Your flesh will wrestle against the spirit. You will have temptations. There's a young boy who went to an old man and he said that, could you tell me how I'd overcome lustful thoughts? The man said, when I find out, I'll tell you. Jokes apart, you will struggle with temptations because the enemy of your soul is out there Looking to devour. And he tirelessly works. 25-7. He does overtime. So get it into your system that there are going to be wandering thoughts. For example, some sitting over here want to text someone using their Blackberry. Now, even now that thought has come into your head. Even now, these things... Very dangerous. These come against your devotion. Because you will be looking at the Bible and you have hundreds of other apps. Point? You are thinking about what's happening in office. Some are thinking my stomach is growling. What's for lunch? Your thought. God has given you a brilliant, a brilliant mind. A wonderful Gift from God is your mind. Would you preserve it? Because it is this hoping and it is this girding of the mind that will lead you to live holy. That's the second response. We are coming to that. But I want you to understand the logic of Peter. He says that you live hopefully or you live completely resting your hope how do you do that? Number one, you gird your mind. Do not allow wandering thoughts. Do not allow your mind to go for a walk. Some people pray, their mind is outside on a walk, then the mind will come and say, can I get in? And then, oh, I was praying for an hour. We read the Bible and halfway down, when we come to Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will be remembering. What was verse 1? Mind has gone for a walk. It says, gird your mind. Do you understand? Gird your mind. Gird your mind. Gird your mind. I think the creators of these new web, uh, was that, browsers are brilliant. Because they have now got something known as tab browsing. Earlier you had to open one browser for each website. And I would have about 20 browsers over there. But now I have one browser with 20 tabs. So what happens? My mind does not stick with one. I'm jumping. And if I don't check my mails in three minutes, I feel I'm outdated. I'm using my example so that I don't offend you. And if I don't check my Facebook in every five minutes, I'm left behind. The power of a made-up mind. Example, Joseph. Joseph made up his mind that he will occupy the destiny through the dream given unto him by God. I want you to catch this. When that dream came unto Joseph, Joseph made up his mind. 
that my destiny is linked to this dream and there is going to be the sun and the moon that is going to bow before me and there is going to be this eleven sheaves that is going to bow before me. I don't know when it is going to happen but I am going to hold on to it. And the power of that dream was embedded in his mind that when Potiphera came and said, come lie with me, he did not make up his mind then. He made up his mind 17 years ago. I don't know if you have made up your mind. Are you making up with the power of a made up mind? Job said, I don't care what happens, I will serve the Lord. His wife said, curse him and die. We blame her, but think of her, she had not reached that maturity of Job. She was not against Job. She had lost ten children for crying out loud. The business was dead. Her husband was suffering. And we say that Job's wife is a wicked woman. No, she was a normal human being. And Job's wife says, curse God and die. Job was a man of hope. He said no. He had girded up his mind. Do not be conformed to this world. That means the J.B. Phillips translation says that do not allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. How do you like that for a translation? Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 says that do not allow the world to squeeze you. Many of us sitting over here are allowing the world, pardon me, but allowing the world to mold our thoughts. We dress a particular way because we are accepted in that dress. If you've seen some of those Billy Graham crusades, there's not a woman who comes in a swimwear. My apologies. I don't wear swimwear, so I can't say I. But we talk in a particular way. We, we have, we buy gadgets. We go to certain places. We keep some friends. We take up a job because of acceptance. I will be accepted. I want you to go and read Colossians. It says that I am accepted in the beloved. I don't, I don't know what you are waiting for. But I am accepted in the beloved. There is nothing I can do that will make God love me more. He said I have loved you with an everlasting love. He said that God so loved Sudhir that He gave His only begotten Son. He gave unto us a son is, a child is born, but a son is given. Link that up with John 3.16. He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This comes from the mouth of Jesus. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 17, That's the danger of memorizing scriptures out of context. Verse 17 says, He who has believed in the Son has life. He who does not believe has already come into condemnation. From the mouth of Jesus, these two verses are together. We learn only 316. 317 is a warning. So what's hope? Gird up your mind. Number two, be sober. The original language says, being sober. Continue to be sober. That means you continue to remain in a mind of not drunken stupor. You you have kept yourself from being inebriated. From your mind being numb. How do you do that? How do you Remain sober. How do you remain watchful? How do you remain alert? Test. Anything that removes from you the relish of God is making you numb. Write that down if you want. Anything that at the end of that exercise If you have to put effort in coming back to God, 
if at the end of that exercise whatever it is it could be movie watching it could be television it could be newspaper it could be stamp collection it could be coin collection it could be talking insistently over the phone it could even be counseling over the phone anything 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 that removes the relish of god that at the end of that exercise you have to yearn to get that thirst back you have to go fasting and praying to get a piece of god inside you that for you my brethren is your liquor that is the one that makes your mind numb your spirit insensitive peter says don't do that don't do that keep your mind alert be alive be sensitive jesus says and then who he who is on the top of the house let him not go down why why be sensitive because there's nothing down there that will help you in heaven he says when you need to be alert in your mind that's what he told peter why are you sleeping peter be alert look look your time has come why did god say that to peter because god had already warned him see we we live in the present we don't that's what everyone says right even the promise for this year says that you leave the past behind but but just remember what was told to peter 3 hours ago said that peter before the cock crows twice you are going to deny me Now Peter when Jesus is praying he is sleeping Jesus comes and says hey Peter wake up this is your alarm get up pray inebriated by sleep overcome by overconfidence he goes and sleeps he sleeps again his eye was heavy says the bible not against you and i sleeping we need rest god created the sabbath hallelujah he rested one day he gives us two days we have two day weekends case in point he goes there watches peter sleeping and said peter you need to get up and peter remembers this okay when he's writing his letter he remembers this that he had gone to sleep and what happens he denied the lord he said i don't even know him i don't know what you're talking about and they and mark says that he even began to curse be sober do not get drunk i don't know what you are intoxicated but please go back and review your life and find out what your own intoxicant is and get it out of your life remove it for some of us it may be as innocent as too much sleep it may be harmless in and of itself but what it does to you, to you is that it numbs your mind it numbs your spirit it makes it desensitizes you the sensitivity of the spirit is not there the holy spirit has to come with the with a biggest sledge hammer to knock on your head and say wake up that's because we've gone numb peter says don't do that don't do that two things guard up your mind make sure what you put in gigo garbage in garbage out out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks make sure what goes in are you sure paul gives us a remedy he says second corinthians 10:5 bring all thoughts captivity to the obedience of christ jesus somebody gave a beautiful example he said that at your door of the mind let the holy spirit be the doorkeeper because if you are the doorkeeper temptation comes and knocks ding dong you say hello where have you been but the holy spirit says get out i am in charge so bring all thoughts captive to the obedience of christ jesus your mind is no longer captive we don't have time for response to response to is be holy be holy why for the simple reason the standard of your holiness is god himself be holy like your pastor 
I mean, he's a man who can fall. Be holy like your area leader. Some wives are thinking, be holy like your husband. I hope so. I hope some wives are thinking like that. And some husbands are thinking, I be holy. Listen, they are not our standard. And God says that be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Perfect. That word is perfect. Now God would not tell us to do something unless he also equips us. R.C. Sproul says that it's only holiness that was repeated three times. It doesn't say righteous, righteous, righteous is the Lord God Almighty, though He is. It says holy. And again holy. And if you've understood what holy and holy is, again holy is the Lord Almighty. Be ye holy. That's my second response. In, in response to all that God has done. Making a list of all the things that God has done for us. How do I respond? Be holy. What's my standard? Jesus himself. Watch his life. Read the Gospels. I mean, soak your soul, Charles Spurgeon says about meditation. He says, soak your soul. That's what meditation is. Soaking your, marinating your soul as if you're going to barbecue it. Marinate your soul in the Gospels. Watch Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Have you seen Jesus lately in the Gospels? Have you seen him fight temptations after 40 days of fasting? Have you seen him? Have you seen him speak with authority? Have you seen him perform those miracles? Have you seen him admonishing? Have you seen him pleading, lovingly bringing the sheep? Have you seen him as a good shepherd who puts the one lost sheep? Have you seen him as the father who wants the prodigal come back? Marinate your soul in the Gospels and you have a picture of what holiness is. And then you become that. There's a beautiful verse in the Bible which says that you are the apple of my eye. The original translation says that you and I are so close that I can see my image in your retina. That's the original meaning of that poetry. You are so close to me that I can see my image in your eye. That's what it says that you are the apple of my eye. Are you so close to Jesus that the image of Jesus is in your eye? I don't know what you're struggling with, but I hope you're not struggling with these two. With these two. These are the basic steps of a Christian. We're going to pray and we're going to ask the Lord, Lord, increase my hope. My hope. My hope. We'll continue with holiness, God willing, next time. But hope. Hope. Let me not lose sense of that hope. And let me not be so earthbound that I forget about heaven. Let me not be so enamored by the things that surround me. Be it pleasure, be it pain. We're not just talking about pain, we're just talking, we're also talking about pleasures. And we're not just talking about pleasures, we're also talking about suffering and pain. What would you tell a Christian who has lost his wife or a husband? And what would you tell someone who has won the lottery? You would tell them the same thing. Put not your hope in any of these. So that's my invitation, that's my plea to you from the first Response, First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 16. Just the first response. My plea to you is, would you begin hoping from today? Would you begin to live your life with your eyes set on above? Colossians says that if you are raised with Christ, set your mind on things above. 
set your mind, your affections, your passions, your ambitions, your desires, your hopes. Set it on things above. On above. Hope fully. Hope completely. Would you begin to ask God to do that in your life? Let's bow down in prayer. Shall we just continue to thank the Lord for what he has spoken to us this day? Our God is the God of hope. And in Romans 5, verse 5, it says this. Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let's just thank the Lord, each of us, that God has had to give us a knock on our head. For some of us it might have been a sledgehammer. For some of us it might have been a gentle tap. But we have all needed it. Because God is asking us one question today and that is, where is your hope? On whom have you anchored your life? Have you crippled your life with each trial that comes your way? And a good question to ask ourselves is this. Does God excite you or does he numb you? Hope in God. Hope. Put all your hope in all situations on God. There is a world outside which is hopeless. But you and I should remember and make it our watchword that we are people with hope. And that's what God is telling us. Today, you and I are not hopeless people. Today, you and I are people with hope. And we have to now carry that hope outside to that hopeless world. Father God, we just want to thank you right now, Lord Father. Father God, we thank you, Lord Father, that once again you have reminded us, Lord Father. You have spoken to our inner person, Lord Father. And Father God, you have told us that we need to gird our loins. We need to be sober. We need to be holy. But even as we look at that holiness, we need to know that we have a standard that you have set. It's not the standard that we see around us. And Father God, we thank you, Lord, that today, you have rekindled that life in us, Lord Father. That state of hopelessness that sometimes we find ourselves in when we think everything is lost. Father, thank you, Lord Father, for telling us that for every one of us here, nothing is lost. Nothing is lost, Lord. With you in us, we are the people who have everything, Lord. We are the most privileged people, Lord. And Father God, we thank you right now that you have spoken to us. Father God, we thank you, Lord Father, for the servant whom you have used this day, Lord Father. Father God, we thank you for the word which you gave him, Lord Father, which he brought to us so powerfully, Lord. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you will anoint him multifold, Lord Father. That even as he continues to sit at your feet, to receive from you and give to us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will continue to use him mightily, Lord. Bless him and his family, Lord, and make them worthy vessels to be carrying your word to this world without hope, Lord Father. Father God, we thank you, Lord Father, for each and every one of us here, Lord. We thank you, Lord Father, that you are there with us, and you are reminding us that you are there always with us, Lord. 
Father God, I pray, Lord, that we will anchor our life to you, Lord Father. We will not be meandering around like rudderless ships, Lord Father. But rather, we will just focus ourselves on you and hold on to you, Lord Father. And move step by step forward, Lord Father. And you, our every day in the future, Lord, will be as you have ordained it, Lord Father. We thank you, we praise you, Lord Father. Father God, whatever trials come our way, Lord Father, we are not going to face it ourselves. We know that you are with us, and we are going to face it with you, Lord Father. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we share the grace? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all now and forevermore. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall live in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all.